You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Rousseau here. Excited to be joined by Shane Phillips, 2017 NLC LA Fellow, our go-to expert in all things mobility and transportation, all kind of stuff. A lot of that in the news right now, so we're excited to have him on. So let's get to it. All right, Shane, I mentioned you're an expert on, on a couple things, but I also wanted to start with asking you about how your home renovations are going. I always see those on, on Facebook and the different adventures you're, you're undertaking. Can you give folks the, the update on where you are so far? Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me on. And yeah, I, uh, I bought my first home just a couple of years ago, and it's an older home. You know, the most anyone uh, as a first home in L.A. could ever hope for. Uh, and when I first moved in, I had kind of in my head, the idea, I would like to kind of learn how to do a little more DIY stuff, home renovation things, didn't really have anything in particular in mind. Um, but in one of the rooms, I started to pull off some of the the trim or baseboard or whatever you want to call it. And it turned out it was basically like embedded in the wall. Um, it's like laugh and plaster old style of, of wall, like pre drywall. And it started damaging the wall itself. And then I was like, well, I guess I will just pull the wall off um, and, and redo everything. And that spiraled into not just the wall, but then the floor and then the ceiling. And at a certain point I had nothing but the studs and the joists and the, the, the floor on the bottom, uh, the baseboards, and just kind of learned step-by-step step how to you know, rewire things, um, insulate everything, bought a drywall lift, bought many saws and, 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 and various other tools. And uh, I, I've been there two years and I've finished about one and a half rooms. So it's been a very slow process, but I have learned a lot. And I have, like I said, I probably have about a dozen saws now and another uh, I have a stove that is just a big pile of tools. Um, but it's fun. It's, uh, well, no, it's not fun, uh, <laughs> but it is satisfying. All right. Well, I'm glad you still have 10 fingers. And I guess that's why you have a th- yeah. A thirty-year mortgage, in theory, so you can get to all the rooms over the course of course of time. It, it might take that long. Yeah, exactly. Hey, let's 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 talk about housing a little bit. So you're our expert on many things, including why it's so challenging for folks to to buy a home at all, or even rent comfortably in LA. And the big topic uh, that's driving a lot of this conversation right now is a, a state bill called SB fifty. When when someone who might not know what it is asks you what the deal is with SB fifty, what's your what's your short answer to that? Well, I guess I would say that it is basically a way to allow for more housing where we need it most um, and where we want it most, which is near transit. Um, Cities for many decades at this point have um, made it increasingly difficult to build housing really anywhere. um, And a lot of rules in place make it actually even harder to build it um, kind of infill already uh, built up areas where often where we want to see housing most because that's where the transit is. Um, that's where the jobs are. And so this is basically saying, you know, cities, uh, you haven't been doing your job and we don't see you changing that anytime soon. And so as a state, we're going to kind of set some minimum standards for you for um, what you need to allow to be built in certain um, parts of your city where transit access is highest um, and also where jobs are most concentrated. And in some cases where um, you have especially wealthy um, and and historically exclusionary communities, uh, we're going to change the rules to allow more housing in those places. And so as folks can probably imagine, this 
has made people very angry <laughs> in a lot of ways and people excited in a lot of ways when folks are saying this is the wrong bill to back and the wrong route to go. What are some of the more frequent criticisms of the bill that you hear uh, that make you the most frustrated? Well, I, I wouldn't say all of these make me frustrated. I would say there's two kind of two strains of opposition. One is more kind of the, the classical NIMBY, not in my backyard, which is really just, you know, I don't want bigger buildings in my neighborhood. I don't want more people and more cars and more traffic and those kinds of things. Um, all of which, you know, is, is understandable to an extent. I, I get it. Um, but also cities are not you know, frozen in amber and they do need to evolve over time and respond to you know, differing um, conditions and the fact that, um, you know, especially with climate change um, facing us down, the fact that we need to put housing where it is most sustainable and that is near transit um, in places where people can um, walk, bike, and take transit to more of their trips where they live nearer to their jobs and other daily destinations. So that's kind of one group there. They're the, the group that I have less sympathy for, honestly. Um, the other kind of major strain of opposition or, or at least concern is from community-based organizations and equity organizations um, and things like that, where their real concern is, you know, A, does housing, more housing in general, given how expensive it is to build and how, how much it costs to rent or buy new housing, is this really going to help people who are most in need of assistance, people, you know, at the lower end of the income spectrum? Um, and, you know, even when you're providing 10 or 15% of the units as affordable, is the, you know, signal being sent by that new development um, to other potential developers, to landlords in the area and other folks, um, is that outweighing the, um, the benefit of providing more housing because the idea overall is that more housing um, is necessary to moderate prices. Um, I, I guess I should have stated that up front, but really the, the idea underlying all of this is that for 30 plus years, California and, and Los Angeles is included in that, has built far less housing than we used to in decades past, even though we're a, a larger um, state and city in terms of population. And that's created a, a level of scarcity where um, you have a lot more people who want to live here than can. Um, and the people who own the property already have a lot of leverage in the negotiations over rent. So, you know, if a, if a landlord is looking for tenants and the vacancy rate is very low, they can take their pick um, of who they want, who can pay the most uh, in places like Dallas and Phoenix and other um, cities that have built more uh, in proportion to their population growth, that's less of an issue. And they've kind of, they've managed to keep their housing prices relatively stable in comparison. So long way of saying it's kind of classic NIMBYs and then more genuinely equity-minded folks. And, um, you know, I think the, the thing that I always want to respond to is, is the people who are genuinely concerned with equity and figure out how we can get the kind of supply side, just needing more housing and pair that with the other aspects of this um, that are really necessary to help people at the, at the low end of the spectrum who, frankly, will never directly or um, at least uh, certainly not directly and, and even maybe not even indirectly benefit from new housing at the higher end. 
So do you think SB50 passes? Do you think it gets watered down and passes? What's your best guess on what, what happens? I really don't know. Um, it, it looks, things are going well. Um, I, I think someone shared recently that of the committees that it has gone through in the Senate so far, it's, it's been voted on twice and uh, passed pretty overwhelmingly in both committees. So between the votes in favor in those committees and the co-authors of which this bill has quite a few, um, 15 of the 40 senators have already voted yes on this um, or, or their co-authors. So presumably that means they are going to vote yes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's not necessarily representative because oftentimes senators and, and other politicians at the state will, they'll vote it in the committee to kind of move it forward, but it doesn't necessarily represent a, a vote of support overall. They just want to see the, the conversation continue and kind of see where it goes. But I think it, it's it's looking very good. Um, it's a very different conversation from the one that was happening last year with SB 827, which was the predecessor to this bill, which failed in its first um, its first committee and had almost immediate opposition from community based organizations and equity uh, organizations. That this year, most of them, you know, not many of them have come out with like full throated support, but they are saying, you know, we're open to this. We want to keep working on it there's there's an opportunity for this to really work for everyone yeah when we come back i want to ask a few more questions about how to engage in conversations about about housing in la we're talking to shane phillips the 2017 fellow thanks for listening to the zag we'll be right back yeah i think as a progressive who's on a neighborhood council and I know there's other NLC alums who are on neighborhood councils too who run up against these these issues of wanting to add more housing and then constantly getting shouted down. What do you feel like is a, the most successful way to engage in a conversation with folks who are opposed either on the NIMI side or on the equity side to make a case that there's there's a lot of potential benefits to a bill like SB50 or at least thinking more like SB50 wants us to think? Well, on the on the NIMBY side, obviously, because their their opposition is kind of rooted in just not wanting things to change, it's it's obviously harder to convince them. Um, and I don't think you necessarily will or always can. And maybe that shouldn't be the goal. But I think when you have conversations with them, you know, I hear that talking about their children and future generations of their own families, like will they be able to live here? I think that um, does really um, work with some people, um, not all of them, certainly. I've heard people say, you know, I'm sorry, my kids won't be able to live here, and that's fine. Um, and that seems terrible, but Great, thanks. that's the perspective that some people take. Um, but I think, you know, that that is one thing. And I think recognizing that, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head here, but in a given year, just take Los Angeles as an example, um, if we grow by 50,000 people, um, probably, well, let me, let me rephrase that. This last year, we had about 220,000 births and about 100,000 deaths or 120,000 or something like that. So we had a net kind of natural increase, completely ignoring migration and immigration and, and all these things of around 100,000 people. And we grew by about 50,000 people in that same amount of time. And so, you know, if you, if you look at that, that means we're forcing people out. A lot of the people that are born here are 
not able to stay. Just physically is not possible because we're not providing enough housing, even for them, before we account for domestic and international migration. So I think that's also an important thing. You know, I think the sustainability argument is also important. I always point out kind of the fact that not building housing doesn't mean that those people don't exist. It just means that the housing will need to be built elsewhere. And in, you know, the way that this, uh, this all works is if it's going to be built elsewhere, it's almost certainly going to be built somewhere that is less environmentally sustainable and where the residents are going to emit more carbon emissions per capita. So if we don't build that unit in Los Angeles, there's a very good chance it's going to end up as a single family home in the suburbs of Phoenix or Las Vegas or Houston or wherever. And that is going to have negative consequences for the environment. Um, on the equity side, my focus, and I, I try to be very balanced on this, I focus a lot on supply argument because I think that is the argument that is in some ways the most um, counterintuitive. It's just not, not something people really think about all the time. And until maybe five or so years ago with the whole Yimby movement, it really just wasn't, uh, and Yimby being yes in my backyard. Um, it wasn't in the, the consciousness or the zeitgeist. Um, and I think the Overton window has shifted on that. But as much as I am focused on it and think it's important and spend a lot of my time on it, I do always acknowledge that building more housing alone, especially market rate housing, which is quite expensive to build, um, will not serve everyone. And we need to do other things that also help people in the short run. Um, things like uh, stronger tenant stability measures, and, and you know there are a variety of ways to pursue that, as well as more funding for affordable housing, um, which you know the amount that we spend on housing in this country um, for renters in particular is just vanishingly small. We subsidize homeownership to the tune of sixty or eighty billion dollars a year, and obviously homeowners are already in a, in a stronger financial position than renters, and we spend maybe. I don't know, a third of that much on things like Section 8 housing choice vouchers and other forms of rental assistance. And that that just seems totally backwards to me. Last thing, what are you most optimistic about when it comes to housing in Los Angeles? Anything? Oh, <laughs> it's I, I go back and forth. I will say, um, you know, SB 50, as the author Scott Wiener has said, is is in many ways modeled off of a Los Angeles policy called the Transit Oriented Communities Guidelines that came about as a result of um, Measure JJJ from a few years ago. I think it was in 2016 that that was uh, approved. And then a year later is when the TOC guidelines came in. And those have created a lot of housing um, or a lot of housing permits and, and the beginning of a lot of construction. All of those buildings will include between about 10 and 20% of the units reserved for low-income households. Um, and because, you know, the nature of the name, it says it, it's transit-oriented communities. So all of those projects are in areas that are um, more transit accessible, close to rail and high quality bus service. And so we're making progress. Um, there's a long way to go. And I think, you know, why I'm such a big supporter of SB50 is not even so much just how it will affect LA, because it will improve things in LA by opening up some of the more exclusionary and, and single family neighborhoods that have kept housing out. But even more importantly, because LA has at least been trying to do its part, 
it'll force the cities that haven't been trying to do their part, the places like Palo Alto and Beverly Hills and elsewhere to, um, to really contribute to the solution because it can't just be one or two cities doing all the work because, you know, there's just not enough space for, for all of us, for us to do all of it. And, you know, there are a lot more places that people want to live. Yeah, sounds good. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can catch all past episodes and all the places you get your podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. They're all there. Check all the episodes out. There's over 125 or so of awesome progressives doing awesome things. Until next time, take care.